podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 22nd of September. Hope you're all well. Hope you all have nice plans for the weekend. We had football last night. We're going to get into that. We've got news and gossip. And then after the break, we've got Guy Drinkle. And we will wrongly predict this weekend's games. Uh, Won't be here Monday. So Tuesday's show will be the normal Monday show next week. And then things should settle down a little bit after that, fingers crossed. Anyway, we are going to jump straight in. So, Europa League is where we'll start. Ren 3, Maccabee Haifa 0. Blas, Trovert and Yildirim with the goals there. Comfortable win for Ren. Last one, Liverpool 3. Florian Flecker put last one up. But a Darwin Nunes penalty. A nice finish from Luis Diaz. 
And a lovely little goal from Mo Salah gave Liverpool a 3-1 win to get their campaign up and running. Leverkusen 4, Hacken nil. I did tell you this was one to watch. I did tell you Florian Wirtz was the player to watch. He got the, the first goal. Amin Adley got the second. Victor Boniface, who's had a great start to life with Leverkusen, got the third. And Jonas Hoffman wrapped it up. Quarebeg won Molden nil. Leandro Andrade with the goal there. Servette nil, Slavia Prague two, Massapostan Ogbo with the goals. Sheriff Tiraspol won, Roma two, Gabby Kiki scored an own goal to give Roma a 1-0 lead. Christian Tover equalised before Romelu Lukaku got the winner. João Paulo Fernandes sent off late on for Sheriff. Panikonaitis two, Villarreal nil. Ioannidis and Sporer with the goals. Good win for Panikonaitis to get their campaign going. Union, Union St. Gelos won, Toulouse won. Dalinga with a penalty just on the stroke of half time. Amora with the equaliser for Union St. Gelos. And Logan Costa sent off for Toulouse in the dying seconds of the game. Atalanta 2, Rakow 0, Charles de Ketelier and Ederson with the goals. Good to see de Ketelier starting his Atalanta career in good form. Sturmgratz won, Sporting 2. Uh, Boving had put Sturmgratz 1 up. Victor Jokerez and Usman Diamande with the goals to give Sporting a good win in their first game. Ajax 3, Marseille 3. Carlos Forbes scored the opener for Ajax. Steven Berghaus made it 2-0. Marseille came back into it. Jonathan Klaus and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang sent it into the break at 2-2. Kenneth Taylor put Ajax 3-2 ahead, but Aubameyang got an equaliser in the 78th minute. 3-3, Silvano Voss sent off on 91 minutes. So he will obviously miss the next game. Rangers won Real Betis nil. Abdullah Sima in on loan with the only goal of the game. Great win for Rangers to start their campaign. Olympiacos 2, Freiburg 3. Saleh put Freiburg 1 up. El Kabi equalised for Olympiacos, but Griffo scored a penalty late in first half stoppage time to put Freiburg back ahead. El Kabi scored again in the second half, and it looked like we were heading for a draw, but Maximilian Philip scoring in the 86th minute. Great win for Freiburg away from home. Um, Sparta Prague 3 Aris Limassol 2 Aris went 1-0 up Alexander Cochran scoring on 11 minutes Greshi scored on 20 and 25 to put Sparta Prague ahead Martin Vitek scored on 67 to make it 3-1 but Bipka did pull one back for Limassol but it was too late so a good night for the Prague clubs with both of them winning. The two English clubs outside of Liverpool then that were involved last night, Brighton 2, AK Athens 3. In Brighton, disappointing result, disappointing performance. I've watched a chunk of it this morning. Brighton just didn't seem to get their patterns of play going, didn't seem to be able to settle into the game. Sadibi put AEK 1-0 up on 11 minutes with a rocket of a header from about 15 yards out. Joe Pedro equalised in the penalty spot on 30 minutes. 
Gasinovich scored on 40 to make it 2-1 to AEK. Jeb Pedro equalised again from the penalty spot on 67. And then Ezekiel Ponce with the late winner on 84. Great win for AEK. Brighton will be annoyed with themselves, though. This was an opportunity to start the group the right way. I still think they'll come out of this group. I think they just needed to settle those nerves. They need to stop playing James Milner. Interestingly, neither penalty was actually given by the referee, despite both being stonewall, and he had to go to the monitor for both of them to make the right decision. Uh, West Ham 3, back at Tapola 1. West Ham a little bit fortunate here. Patar Stanic scored on 47 to put Tapola 1 up. James Ward-Prowse played Ogbonna into trouble. He had to turn on the ball. He didn't have the pace in the first step. Ball gets robbed off him. And back a goal one up. But a Petrovic own goal on 66. A Mohamed Kudus header on 70. And then a Thomas Suchek header on 82. The latter two both from Ward-Prowse corners as he made amends for his contribution to the back of goal. So good start for West Ham. Good start for Liverpool. Not so good a start for Brighton. Group tables then. Uh, West Ham and Freiburg. Three points, Olympiacos and back and no points. AK, three points. Marseille, Ajax, one point. Brighton, no points. Sparta, Prague and Rangers, three points. Aris Limassol and Betis, no points. Atalanta and Sporting, three points. Sturm Graz and Rakow, no points. Liverpool, three points. Toulouse, Union St. Gilles, one point each. No points for last. Ren and Panikonitos with three points apiece. Villarreal and Maccabee with no points. Slavia Prague and Roma with the three points. No points for Sheriff or Servette. And then finally, Leverkusen and Quarabag with three points. Molda and Hacken with nothing. Into the Europa League we go. Um, one game that was played on Wednesday, obviously, was the Lille Olympia game. Jonathan David and Yusuf Yasiki with the goals in that one. Ferenc Varos three. Kukariki one. Now, because these are largely Eastern European clubs and Scandinavian clubs in this competition, and thus largely Eastern European and Scandinavian names of the players, I'm not going to go through the goal scorers to save myself the embarrassment. But Ferenc Varos beat Kukariki 1-0. And I'm sure I'm pronouncing Kukariki wrong, but I don't care. Uh, HJK2, PAOK3. Genk2, Fiorentina2. Andy Zakiri, actually former Brighton player, scored in that one. Zorinsky 4, AZ Alkmaar 3. AZ were 3-0 up at half time. And Zorinsky came back and scored four second half goals to claim a great win. Fenerbahce 3, Nordelsjand 1. Good performance from Fenerbahce by all accounts. Uh, Nordelsjand, though, worth a watch if you get the opportunity. There's a lot of talent in that squad. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt 2, Aberdeen 1, Marmouche with an early penalty, Polvara equalised on 22, but Robin Cock in on loan from Leeds on 61 to give Eintracht a good win, but a decent performance by Aberdeen. Ludogorets 4, Spartak Tarnava 0, solid, solid start for Ludogorets. Slovan Bratislava 2, my friends from the Faroe Islands 1, Lugano 0, Bodo Glimt nil, Dinamo Zagreb five, Astana one. Great result for Dinamo. 
Uh, Maccabee Tel Aviv, three. Briarblack, Briarbrick, two. Uh, Club Bruges, one. Besiktas, one. Former Everton legend, legend, I say. Cheng Tolson with a late equaliser in that one. Zoria Lahansk won, Ghent won. Uh, Victoria Plisson won, Balkany nil. And then our English representative in this competition, Aston Villa, losing 3-2 to Legia Warsaw in Warsaw. Uh, Zolek? Zolek? Zolek scoring the first goal on three minutes. Jean Duran equalising on six. Great work by Nicolo Zaniola and an absolute weapon of a shot. Keeper did well to tip it onto the bar. Duran did well to follow up and finish. Uh, Ernest Mucci scoring on 26 minutes. Uh, just really poor defending for Villa for both of the first two goals. Uh, Luca Dina equalising, making it 2-2 on 38. Deflected shot, but made up for some of his own defensive calamities. But Ernest Mucci with the winner on... 51 minutes he looks a player I watched extended highlights about 25 minutes of this game um, today and I have to say I was impressed by him not just the goals but his movement and his involvement in the build up play very very impressive he's now Bainian International only 22 years of age might be one just to keep an eye on moving forward so uh, Lille and Slovan Bratislava have three points my Faro friends and Olympia have no points in Group A. In Group B, Maccabee Tel Aviv have three points. Ghent and Zorha have one, and Brioblek have none. Group C, it's Dinamo Zagreb and Victoria Plisson with three points. Balkany and Astana with nothing. In Group D, it's one point all round. Besiktas, Club Bruges, Bodo Glimt, and Lugano. In Group E, it's Zorinsky with three, Leje Warsaw with three. Alkmaar with nil, with, with none, and Villa with none. And I think you would have got fairly good odds on that being the state of play after one game. In Group F, Ferenc Varos have three points. Fiorentina and Ghent, Genk rather have one point, And Kukuriki have no points. In Group G, PAOK and Eintracht Frankfurt with three points. HJK and Aberdeen with no points. And finally, Group H, it's Ludogorets and Fenerbahce off to the good start with three points. Nordelsjan and Spartak Ternava with no points. Next Europa League games uh, will be October 5th. So no games, obviously, next week. It's domestic competition. We have the EFL Cup and whatever else is going on around Europe. EFL Cup for the English sides. And then back to European action uh, the following week. Right, uh, news. Big news coming out of Germany. Julian Nagelsmann appointed manager of Germany on a contract until July of 2024. So he will just take over for the European Championships. The competition will run from the 14th of June to the 14th of July. His first match in charge will be a friendly against the United States, which will take place in Connecticut on the 14th of October. And then three days later, the Germans will will play Mexico. Mexico, excuse me, on in Philadelphia. So shout out to Joey Connors on that one. Um, I don't imagine he's planning to stay there beyond the tournament, but if it goes well, he might. If it goes well, he might. 
this is a way for him to to get his name back out there, though, and maybe rehabilitate his image a little bit. Because obviously the Bayern thing just didn't go particularly well. Um, FIFA Puskas Award 2023. Julio Enciso's goal against Manchester City and Sam Kerr's wonder strike in the World Cup for Australia are two of the 11 nominees there are three females on the list and eight men. Now, uh, what else do we have here? Oh, big news for Arsenal. Martin Odegaard has signed a new five-year contract. It is believed it will make him the highest paid player at the club, which is what I said would happen. And when you consider that Declan Rice is on close to 300 grand a week, Kai Havertz is on close to 300 grand a week, Bukayo Saka has easy-to-hit incentives, which are largely just appearance-based, which will push his 200 grand a week towards the 300 grand a week marker. You've got a similar enough deal for Gabriel Martinelli, slightly lower. I think it's 170 going to about 250 based on appearances. Aaron Ramsdale signed a big new contract in the summer. William Saliba signed a big new contract in the summer, I believe close enough to 200 grand a week there, one one season apparently more than enough to earn you the type of wages Virgil van Dijk had to play four years to get. But Arsenal are very much going all in on this group of players. And if they don't start to win major honours soon, this is going to hurt them because you can't be paying mega money for a team that's not going to win the Premier League and Champions League that you just end up being Manchester United then. Now, they're a more talented group than United have been at any point under Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho, Oli, or Ten Hag, but they're as far away from winning anything as United were. They've won one FA Cup under this manager, and it's quite a while ago now. And all of the spending, and it's significant spending, well over $600 million, all of the spending came after they won that FA Cup. So this is going to start mounting pressure on the players and on the manager because Arsenal need to start winning things. It's, it's Arsenal Football Club. They exist to win things. They don't exist to have title challenges in January and February. They exist to win the title. They admittedly don't have a great history in Europe, but that's the type of competition they should be aiming to win. So we'll see how this works out. Uh, Odegaard fully deserves his new contract. Uh, 12 goals, 15 assists since joining on loan. Obviously was outstanding last season. Is arguably the best player. Him or Bukayo Saka, you can take your pick. I'm not really going to argue either way. I'll probably take Saka myself just because you can use him in more ways. But Odegaard is the one that steps up every time they need someone to step up for them. And he has taken on that captain's role and produced. He has really produced the goods. So congrats to him on his new contract. I do just have some concerns about what the future is for this Arsenal team if they don't start to win major honours. There's a really good piece on the BBC website. It's a sit-down between Gary Lineker and Ange Postacoglu, uh, I would recommend highly that everybody watch the clip. It's only like three and a half minutes. Well worth your while. Um, Konstantin Ecker, who is, Eckner, who is a German reporter for the BBC, 
has said that while they've appointed Nagelsmann, Jurgen Klopp is still very much at the forefront of their thinking for the longer term. So we'll see what happens with that over the next couple of years. Um, Chris Sutton has done his Premier League predictions versus British MMA star Fabian Edwards. And Fabian Edwards actually will fight this weekend in Dublin for the Bellator middleweight title against Johnny Eblen. His brother is obviously Leon Edwards, who is the UFC welterweight champion. So it would be very cool if both brothers could hold world titles in uh, at the same time. Admittedly, different weight classes, different companies. But uh, Fabian Edwards is definitely someone I could see the UFC having an interest in if he produces a big performance this weekend. Um, right, so what have they predicted? So Crystal Palace versus Fulham. Sutton went 1-1. Fabian went 1-0 to Fulham. Uh, Luton versus Wolves. They both went 1-0 to Wolves. Man City versus Nottingham Forest. Sutton went 4-0 to City. Edwards went 3-0 to... Sorry, 2-0 to City. Uh, Brentford versus Everton. Both of them picked Brentford to win. 2-0 for Sutton, 1-0 for Edwards. And Burnley versus Manchester United. They've both picked a 2-1 Manchester United win. Uh, North London Derby, they've both predicted Arsenal to win. 3-2 for Sutton, 2-1 for Edwards. Brighton versus Bournemouth, they've both picked Brighton to win. 3-1 for Sutton, 1-0 for Edwards. Uh, Chelsea versus Villa, Sutton went 1-1, Edwards went 2-1 to Villa. I wonder, is he a Villa fan? Because he's from Birmingham, born in Jamaica, grew up in Birmingham. Uh, Liverpool versus West Ham, they've both picked Liverpool. 2-0 for Sutton, 2-1 for Edwards. Uh, 2-1 is what I went for on Scouted with Carl. I, I, I wanted to go 3-1. I might go 3-1 after the break when I talk with Guy. And then Sheffield United versus Newcastle, they both went 1-0 to the tune. Um... In women's football, we have the retirement of one of the best players in the world. Julie Ertz has decided to call time on her career. Uh, 123 caps for the U.S. women's national team. Twice named the U.S. player of the season. Only 31 years old, so she is retiring early. Uh, She said it's not because she can't play anymore. It's because she's got different priorities in life now. She became a mother uh, last year, she has uh, one son with Zach Ertz, who is her husband. He is an NFL player, plays tight end for the Arizona Cardinals, for, for, uh, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles. So she has decided to just call time on her playing career, which, you know, fair play. Um, she's had an incredible career. She's won what she set out to win. Her teammates adored her. She was called the, one of the most important players in the world. She's a two-time World Cup winner. She didn't get to win the Olympics, which is a bit disappointing for her, but two-time World Cup winner, two-time CONCACAF winner, three ta- four-time, she believes, Cup winner, and won the Tournament of Nations as well. Spent her club career uh, largely with the Chicago Red Stars and then most recently with Angel City FC. Congrats on the career. 
Can't say it any other way. She was uh, she was a really really good player. Um, right on to the gossip because there's nothing else for us to do. Um, Crystal Palace are expected to open contract talks with Eberichi Ezi over a new deal. His current deal runs until 2025. Obviously, was strongly linked to City in the summer. So I'm guessing Palace are going to up his wages and maybe include a high buyout clause or something like that. I think it, it suits everybody if, if that, that is the case. Manchester United are willing to sell Jaden Sancho in a cut-price deal in January. We'll wait and see. Tottenham are to trigger an option in Youngman Son's contract that will extend his deal until 2026. Bayern Munich will compete with Real Madrid to sign Reese James. I don't think they will. Trevo Chalova is set to leave the club in January with the English defender keen on a move to Bayern Munich after rejecting Nottingham Forest. I think he'd be a really good fit at Bayern. Um, Barcelona boss Xavi has agreed a one-year contract extension which will keep him at the club until 2025. And there is an option for a further 12 months. Juventus have joined Liverpool, PSG, Bayern Munich and Tottenham in the race to sign Kefren Turan. It's 90minute.com. You wouldn't pay much attention. Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United are interested in Norway and Club Bruges striker Antonio Nusa. Club, Club Bruges winger, rather. Antonio Nusa with the 18-year-old valued at around $30 million. Um, United have Rashford, Garnacho, Sancho, and Mason Mount, who can all play that left-wing role. They don't have any need for Antonio Nusa. Uh, Chelsea, well, they've 40 wingers, and he should avoid that club like the plague. Um, Arsenal, Trossard can play there, but I don't know that it's his favourite role. They have been looking for a backup to Martinelli. And obviously they tried to sign Mudrick back in January. I always wonder what would have happened if he'd gone there. Like, what would it have meant for Martinelli? Would Martinelli have moved through the middle? Possibly. Um, It would be a good move for Arsenal to get Noosa, but I don't know if it's the best move for him because Martinelli's still so young. Like, it's not like a thing that he's late 20s and if you bide your time for two years and learn... Off in rolls off the bench in rotation that you're going to take over. Like Martinelli's only what 21, so I'm not sure that's the best move for him. Manchester United players are still angry at the treatment of David de Gea after the Spaniard was allowed to leave in a free. I think it was a disgrace. They agreed a new contract with him, then didn't sign it, and then binned him off out the door. That's really really poor. I I, I understand that he had declined significantly over the last five years. But the fact of the matter is, he's given you his career. David De Gea was at Manchester United for 12 years. He was 21 when he joined. He was a, he was a young fella, a kid. And you treat him like that. I think that's really, really poor. And it speaks to the environment that Eric Ten Hag has created. Former Bayern Munich manager Julian Nagelsmann is close to reach an agreement to become the German manager. That's obviously been confirmed today. Liverpool are ready to contract to contact the representatives of both Thiago Alcantara and Joel Matip to discuss new deals. Um, no, they're not. They, they just aren't. Uh, I'm not sure who Darren Looney is. Uh, we'll have a look on the Twitter machine. Uh, let's have a look. 
No, he's not somebody that we're going to be listening to. It's it's tagged as an exclusive. Sources have told, caught offside. Nobody told you anything, son. Let's be honest now. You're a spoofer. Uh, Belgium striker Romelu Lukaku split from representatives Rock Nation shortly after his loan move to Roma. That's a surprise. Uh, a number of Premier League sides, including Wolves, Everton and Nottingham Forest, are ready to make a move for Mikel Antonio if the 33-year-old fails to agree a new deal West Ham. Marco Silva admits he cannot control where Joao Polinia's future lies. Amid reports that Bayern Munich will pursue a deal for the 28-year-old in January, I'm guessing that because he signed a new deal, it's, there's an agreement that he's not leaving in January. Tottenham have parted company with Chief Scout Leonardo Gabonini prior to the club's anticipated appointment of a new sporting director. He was one of Paratici's fellows, so it's the right move. Barcelona will prioritise a contract extension for Frankie de Jong, despite his current deal not expiring until 2026. I don't believe they will because they have no money. Um, Jean Laporte says the club's financial recovery will be complete sooner than expected. Well, recent forecasts suggest that you're telling us lies and everything you've ever said suggests that you're not trustworthy. So we'll wait and see. Um, That is it. That's all I have for now. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Guy and we'll go through this weekend's Premier League game. So we'll see you after this. Right. Welcome back. So I'm joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? I like football again. <laughs> Liverpool are winning games again, so we're all a bit more joyful. Uh, we do have a full slate of 10 games this weekend. However, as we've just been discussing before the mics went live, no Friday night game, which is always shit. No early Saturday night, Saturday game, which is disappointing. And then Everton on television again. And then Sheffield United versus Newcastle is the Super Sunday game rather than the North London Derby. Like, of the five games on Sunday, and there are five games on Sunday, Chelsea Villa, Liverpool West Ham, Brighton Bournemouth, and of course that North London Derby are all more appealing than Sheffield United versus Newcastle. And yet we have to choose to watch one of those other four and we're stuck watching Sheffield United versus Newcastle. I'm not happy, guy. I'm not happy. The 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 schedule makers have blood on their hands. And also, who wants to watch Burnley versus Manchester United at 8pm on a Saturday evening? I mean, if Burnley win, it's good comedy before match of the day, I suppose. But, you know. That's fair. That's very, very fair. But still. Right, let's jump in. We've got three... 3 p.m. kickoffs to go with first. We do indeed, and we start with Crystal Palace against Fulham, Dave. Um, it's a bit of a weird game. Obviously, you think Palace have had the more... Well, the fact they're on the same points, actually, just realised. Um, I'd say Pol- Palace have had a more positive start in terms of the feel of the club, because Fulham has had a bit of a weird um, start to the season with the transfers, etc. But on paper, it's quite an even game, but I'd still favour Palace, but that might just be a optics thing. Yeah, I think I'd favour Palace as well. They, they are at home here. 
And it does feel like they've had the better start, even though, like you said, they've got the same points so far. A big part of that is obviously the the confusion over what was happening with Joe Polina. I think Palace as well were a little bit unfortunate to lose to Arsenal. Fulham got the draw against Arsenal, which obviously was a really good result. But Fulham got tonked by City. And I know there was the controversy over the penalty, but they still got got torn apart second half. They also got tonked by Brentford. Whereas it's felt like with Palace, they've been more in the games that they've played. Like their biggest loss is a 3-1 away to Aston Villa, a game in which they led until the 87th minute and then conceded late, late goals. So it feels like they've been more competitive in every game thus far. But Fulham, to their credit, have gotten seven points on the board. Now, Fulham will be without Tosin, without Sasalukic, but Anthony uh, Robinson is back. For Palace, no Michael Alise, no Mateus Franca, no Jefferson Lerma, which is a big blow. Uh, no James Tompkins. Mark Wehi, they hope, will be back. And Jordan Ayew, it could well be back as well. Given it's at home, I think I'll favour Palace to win 2-1. I think it's going to be a decent game, though. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Palace are, Palace are that weird team where they're either dreadful or fun. It might, that just might be Roy Hodgson fighting himself. That is just Hodgson fighting with himself. Yeah. He wants them to be dreadful. He wants them to be horrendous to watch. But there's there's a lot of good players in that Palace squad who want to play good football. And I think, you know, the Roy's better angels are, are shouting him down and, and convincing him to, you know, let them play a little bit, Roy. Let them play a small bit. And it's it's working out well so far. Yeah, absolutely. Is. I, I, I won't expect them to be in the relegation scrap any point in the season really um but we do have two teams that will be in the relegation scrap this season and that is Luton against Wolves Dave I mean I think we mentioned last we might be two weeks running uh Wolves in a relegation six pointer um I'd say this is another one but I'd say this is a lot more important for Luton because if they can't get a a point at the very least against Wolves at home what what are we doing here Mm. Yeah, they, they, this is must win for both teams, really. Um, Wolves with just the three points so far that came against Everton, another relegation-threatened team. Four defeats, but to their credit, in two of those games, away to United and at home to Liverpool, they played really well for spells. Like against United, they were really good for about 60. Against Liverpool, they were brilliant in the first half. They also lost to Crystal Palace. Again, they played okay. They weren't bad. They were dreadful against Brighton and they got rightly spanked. But Luton, I mean, no points from four games. They haven't looked up to the standard. They haven't been overwhelmed by anybody yet. Brighton beat them 4-1, but three of those goals came in the last 25 minutes. And they did give them a little bit of a scare by pulling it back to 2-1. Um, they followed that up losing 3-0 to Chelsea, which, I mean, in retrospect, conceding three goals to this Chelsea team isn't a great look, but nobody thought much of it at the time. They gave West Ham a tough enough game. 
but the late goal did kind of flatter them on the scoreline. I think 2-0 would have been a fairer reflection of what we saw. And then obviously they played uh, Fulham last and, and lost 1-0 to a Vinicius goal. They've only played the four games. They do have that game in hand to come against Burnley. But it is getting to the point where they're going to have to start getting something on the board or it's going to become a thing. You know, that'll be five games. Then, you know, it gets to six and seven and eight. And after this, they go to Everton. Then they've got that Burnley game. Then they get Spurs. Then it's Forest who will again be scrapping for points. Then it's Villa. Then it's Liverpool. Then it's United. You know, it, it could easily get out of hand for them. It could get to 10 or 12 games if they don't start picking points up. And at that point, despite it being really early in the season, your, your season's kind of going to be over because you're going to be nailed to the bottom of the league and there will be a gap opened to the team in 17th who are, as far as Luton are concerned, the most important team in the league. That's who they have to keep touch with is the team in 17th with the hopes of overhauling them and finishing 17th. For Wolves, though, like, I I, I like this Wolves team. I think there's some really good players in it. It's just a matter of scoring goals. They're doing everything else pretty well. Uh, Now, this week, Luton have no Dan Potts, no Jordan Clark, no Gabriel Oshu, and Ross Barkley is a doubt. Wolves are hopeful that Rayanate Nuri will be okay to play. And Joe Hodge is working his way back as well. So they could be fairly close to full strength, depending on Aitnuri. Um It feels like there'll be very few goals in this game. It feels like it'll probably go 1-0 either way. And I think I'm going to back Wolves. So I'll go Wolves 1-0. Yeah, I think Wolves already nicked a couple couple of these games. I think they beat, did they beat Everton with a late goal? Beat Everton with a late goal from yeah. Kalasage and... They just look more of a goal threat than than Luton do. Like mm-hmm. if you look at, at Luton's games thus far, they had two shots on target against Fulham. They had one shot on target against um West Ham. Against Chelsea, they had one shot on target. And against Brighton, they had three shots on target, but two of them came fairly late in the game. One of them was a penalty. So they're just not getting they're not, they're not working the opposition goalkeeper enough. And like the same can be true of Wolves, but when you look at the quality Wolves have with Neto, with Huang, with Cunha, with Kalasic, with Fabio Silva, who I know is hit and miss, but when he hits, he is good. I just feel like they've got more avenues to score. So that's... Set pieces are, are where, where Luton will, will find joy but Wolves are fairly decent at defending set pieces, so it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, I think if I was to watch a three o'clock kickoff, I'd probably watch that one just out of the importance of it, but it's not a great selection of games, to be fair. And next up, I mean, Man City, Nottingham Forest could be fun, but let's be honest. <laughs> it feels probably... inevitable, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was on Today Was Show on, um, on Monday, and we were talking about Man City in this game. So if it was any other team, you'd think, all right, Forest have 700 defensive midfielders that could frustrate any team, got nice quality up front, a bit of pace, etc. And then you just go, oh, they're playing Man City. They're going to lose. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's just it with City this year. They just feel like it's an an inevitability that they will find ways to win games. And they have no KDB and no Bernardo Silva. So that's obviously two huge blows. But fortunately for them, you know, they have the likes of Phil Foden. They have Doku. They have Oscar Bob, if they want to use him. They've got a bunch of... Fantastic name, by the way. Oh, brilliant name. One One of the great names in football right now. You know, they've, they've added Matthias Nunes. Kovacic could be back for this one. Grealish is probably still another week away. Um, but you, you just don't know. Guardiola never really tells the truth. I mean, Julian Alvarez has turned into the best striker in the world. That's the thing. Julian Alvarez is, is like a striker, a 10 and a winger all in one, in one player. And he's been really impressive. Um, John Stone's probably going to miss out as well. So, you know, if they're without him, Grealish, Silva and KDB, it is it is a blow, but they've got better players. They've, they've got Doku to play left wing. They've got Nunes to come into midfield. They've got Rodri in, in incredible form. Foden's playing well. Alvarez is playing well. Haaland is Haaland. They're, they're really, really strong. And defensively, they're always going to be strong under Pep because they have the ball 80% of the time. Uh, Forrest, no Daniil. Serge Aurier is a doubt. Willie Bolly is a doubt. And Wayne Hennessy is uh, working his way back to fitness. Ah, there's no point in spending too long on it. I think City are going to win this one comfortably. I'm going to go 3-1. Yep. Yep. I think it'll be something like that as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Brentford against Everton, Dave. Uh, apart from this being Everton's 700th game on TV this season for some reason, um, what do you make of this one? Brentford, goals dried up a little bit off the top of my head. They may have scored a bit more than I remember. Everton, uh, is there a more depressing team? No, there's not. And the thing about Everton being on TV this much is even Everton fans don't want to watch Everton at the moment because it's so depressing for them. Like they've been genuinely shocking this season. They've got one point from five games. It was away to Sheffield United, and they were a little bit fortunate to get that one point. They've not played well at all. They played at home to Fulham, got beaten 1-0, got walloped by Villa, lost 1-0 at home to Wolves, drew at Sheffield United. Now, they made it hard for Arsenal, but... They never looked like scoring in the game, so the only way they were going to get anything was to was to keep Arsenal to uh, you know, to, to not scoring. Watching them play out from the back there was genuinely embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, and, and I know Sean Dyche isn't famed for his football, but when you think of the old Burnley team, Ben Me and Tarkovsky could play out from the could back. Play in the out. and that's the thing. Like, it's not like he doesn't have footballers there. Like Brantwaite's a good footballer. Michael Enkel's a good footballer. Tarkovsky's a good footballer. Footballing goalkeeper in the world, people. Ever, <laughs> ever, according to some people. Like, I, I genuinely don't really know what Sean Dyche is doing at the moment. I don't understand the insistence on playing Ashley Young, who has been dreadful for them. But he's in the team every week. Like, I, I, I get that some managers want, you know, that old head, but when that old head is on a very old body that can no longer move in the manner needed in the Premier League, you just have to say, thanks, but have a seat. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, this weekend, Everton, no Deli Ali, no Seamus Coleman, 
No Andre Gomes. I don't think he's going to play a whole bunch this season anyway. And no Surprised Jack Harrison. There, to be honest. Hmm? Surprised he's still there, to be honest. I, I, I don't understand why he's still there. I'm assuming he's on money that nobody was willing to match. So he's decided to just see out his contract. If Qatar or Saudi don't want you, Jesus Christ, Everton, what have you done there? Yeah, like, I remember when they signed him, there was talk that he was on about 140 grand a week. Um, Because they signed him from Barcelona, remember? So, Mm. and they signed him for 25 million. So they spent big money to bring him in. You ever wonder Uh, why Everton are in the financial situation they are? That's exactly (laughs) it. Deals like this. Deals like this, They're, they've been a train wreck for years now. Uh, Jack Harrison, they're working slowly with to bring him back. Um, he's obviously joined with an injury, so we'll see what happens with him. I He might make the bench this weekend. Uh, for Brentford, like they've started the season pretty well. Not great, but pretty well. They've picked up 11, no, sorry, six points. Uh, they sit 11th. They have only won the one game, though. Three draws and then defeat last week against Newcastle, where they could feel rightly aggrieved. It wasn't a, it was in no way a penalty. Um, they drew 2-2 with Spurs. They beat Fulham 3-0, which was a really good performance. They drew 1-1 with Palace. They drew 2-2 with Bournemouth. They do miss Ivan Tony. They've gotten eight. They scored eight goals in their five games, but mm-hmm. they are missing that presence up front. The ball isn't sticking up front for them. Visa and um, and Bomo have both started the season well, but both of them need that number nine next to them to allow them to do what makes them important players. They will have, obviously, no Ivan Tony, no Josh De Silva, no Shandon Baptiste, and no Rico Henry, uh, who's going to be out for a prolonged period of time, which is a shame. Uh, Damsgaard, Ayer, and Ben Mee are all doubts, but they're hopeful that they'll have them back. The big question will be what they do in defence here. If Ayer's fit, I assume he plays right back, Hickey plays left back, and they go with a back four. Because... Roarslev isn't a Premier League caliber player, and they didn't go out and address their fullback issue in the summer. I said they should have. I said they should have bought Kyle Walker Peters, and have him on the right, Henry on the left, and then Hickey could have played. Say each of them start twenty six games, and then Hickey could start twelve on either side, and you could keep all three fresh all season. They didn't do it. They've got Roarslev. It's either him or Ayer, and Ayer's got a knock. Ayer's also six five and prone to injury when asked to play right back. So it's going to be tough for them. One of the midfielders is probably going to have to do a shift at right back at some point. Um, Scandinavian Don Byrne, let's get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for the Brentford win, though, because I, they're just a better team than Everton. Everton don't look like scoring, and they always look like conceding at the moment. So I think the pace of Mbomo, the pace of Wissa. I think it'll just be too much for the Ev. So I'll go 2 0 to Brentford. Yeah, I think you've got to get Kevin Shard in the team a bit more as yeah. well, especially against teams like Everton. Um, next up, we had that game we talked about in the intro Burnley hosting Man United, Dave. Good Lord. Um, I mean, Burnley, 
weird start to the season. Looked a bit more promising against Forest on Monday. Man United, though, Dave. I mean, we could do an hour on these alone, and we won't, but we could. Um, I mean, start with a goalkeeper. You can't drop him, but if he was there a bit longer than he has been, you probably mm. would think about dropping him. Yeah, he, he's not started well, has he? Um, and they've got so many injuries right now as well. Like they're they're getting hit from all angles. Their their big money buys are not playing well. There's a ton of injuries. Like this weekend, no Wan Basaka, no Luke Shaw. There's probably your first choice fullbacks gone. Um, no Malashia. There's your backup left back gone. Kobe Manu is a kid. He wouldn't be playing anyway. Um. No Anthony, suspended. No Sancho, suspended. Slabhead has some... <laughs> they, he has what Ten Hag said, some complaints. Uh, Ahmed Diallo is, is out long-term as well. And then there's significant doubts over Varane, Mount and Amrabat. So, I, I mean, they're, they're bare bones at the moment. They're not playing well. They don't have a distinctive style of play. They don't have an identity as a team. But they do have a couple of match winners in the likes of Marcus Rashford. They'll hope that Rasmus Hoysland can be one. They've got Garnacho, who I don't really understand why he didn't start in midweek. I know Palestri's a more natural right winger. But still, play your best players, even if one of them's out of position. Um... Rashford, by the way, started the season terribly. Awfully, absolutely. Awfully. He looks re- he looks really disinterested. Like he genuinely looks like he doesn't care all that much, and that's in stark contrast to the Marcus Rashford that we are normally used to. I don't know if he's carrying an injury. I don't know if something's happened. I'd assume he's he's probably a little bit put out by the Sancho situation. Because him and Sancho are very close friends and he was a big driving force in getting Sancho to the club. So I'm not really sure what's, you know, what impact that's had on him, but it can't be a good one to see what his mate has been put through. I remember we discussing this when obviously his contract was up in the air. The best thing he should have done was leave yeah. years ago. He, yeah, 100%. Thing of Man United, he's always going to be overly criticised because he's there their go-to player, they mm. overplay him, play him through injuries, whereas, I don't know, probably not an English club, but say if PSG fancied an English lad, Bayern Munich have obviously picked up English players in the past. If he went to one of those clubs, he'd be treated properly. He'd, he'd be a managers. Yeah, absolutely. But if you look at, at, at his games played over his career, right, his first season is 15-16, he's only a kid, he plays 18 games. In 1617, when, bear in mind, Marcus Rashford was 18 starting the season, he plays 53 games. The following season, he's 19. Actually, hang on, I'm wrong with that. He was 17 starting the season in 1617. Oh, was he 18? He might, I think, I think he was 17. He was, he was 17. He was 17. He plays 53 games. The following season, he starts the season as an 18 year old, turns 19, 
I've made an arse of this. He started the first season at 18, second season 19. <laughs> he turned 20 two months into the second season. But again, he plays 52 games. Then he plays 47 games, 44 games, 57 games in the 2021 season, the weird COVID year. He plays through a bunch of injuries, goes, plays in the Euros, misses that penalty, gets surgery, but doesn't get, he had two issues, two injury issues, doesn't get the second one fixed because he wants to come back and play, plays 32 games, only scores five goals. And he'd gone 11, 13, 13, 22, 21, drops off to five. Last season, he plays 56 games. He scores a career-high 30 goals, had that incredible spell after the World Cup. This season, he's got one goal in six games, and he just doesn't look like the same player. He just doesn't look like he's got the same mindset that he's always had. He doesn't look as as locked in. He doesn't look as focused. He doesn't look as confident either. Like there's moments where where, where Rashford is getting isolated against fullbacks. And normally he'd fend one way, go the other and just drive past him with that burst of speed. And now he's hesitating and defenders are getting the challenge in before he's processed what he's going to do. He seems to have lost that instinctive side to his game. Now, he would have been a free agent next summer had he not signed that contract with United. And for me, the the smart thing would have been to not sign it and then potentially run out your season and leave on a free and have your choice of clubs. And Marcus Rashford, as a free agent, would have had a long list of clubs lining up to sign him. He would have gotten mega money somewhere. But he's signed on to United, and I'm sure they're paying him incredibly well. But he just he doesn't look the same player at all. Doesn't look at the same interest level. I'm sure it'll work itself out. I'm sure he'll go on to have a good season, but it's worrying for United. Especially- he's always been a bit patchy, hasn't he? He has always been a patchy player. That is very true. So, like, he could score against Burnley, and then he could score 10 goals in his next 12 games. But then he could go four or five without a goal again because that's just how his career has been. Burnley's probably a decent team for United to play right now because they're newly promoted. They haven't started the season all that well. Uh, they're missing Ekdal, Foster, Obafemi, and Sherlinoff, uh, Victor De Silva, Vitinho is a doubt. They currently have one point from their campaign so far. Uh, they got a draw against Nottingham Forest on Monday. They'll be hopeful that they can give United a good game. They've had a tough start to the season in terms of fixtures. Started with City, then played Villa, uh, then played Spurs, and now obviously then then Forest away. So I don't think anybody was really expecting them to get much from City, Villa, or Spurs, even though those games were at home. The only thing for Burnley, this is their fifth league game. Four of them have been at home. If they were to lose this game and come out of four home games with no points and have that lopsided more away fixtures than home fixtures thing ahead of them, that would be a bit of a concern. Um, like after this one, they, they do have three of their next four away from home and the home game is Chelsea. So it's not 
well, it might be easy, but it's not, <laughs> not one of the easier fixtures in the league. Um, I, I'm just going to pick a United win. I'm not confident in them at all. I think Burnley could cause them problems. If I was Vincent Company, I, I, I'd probably be telling my lads to test that goalkeeper early and often. Uh, shoot from range if you get a, if you get an opening. But I'll go I'll go three one United. Yeah, wouldn't surprise any result there. Um moving on to the eighteen two o'clock kickoffs we have on the Sunday. Um start with the North London Derby Dave. Uh, me and Tadiwa did a combined eleven on Monday. Uh, and Arsenal fans didn't like it. <laughs> um but I think that's ten testament to the form that Tottenham are in and probably more so the form that Arsenal are in they're obviously on the same point but playing wise Arsenal haven't played well whereas Tottenham have obviously struggled in a couple of games but when they do play well it's it's much more uh, obvious than Arsenal yeah um, so I'm just going to pull up that combined 11 that you guys did which upset the Gunners so you had uh, Vicario based on and form. Based yeah, on based form. on form. So you have Vicario and goal. I think that's fair. Aaron Ramsdale has not started the season well and was dropped. And David Rea has only played one game. Vicario has been good. Uh, you went Ben White, Romero, Saliba and Adoji. I, I don't see how there can be an argument against that. I mean, Ben White has... Yeah, today wouldn't let me put Poro in either. Yeah, I mean, if anything, Spurs fans should be a bit upset about that because Poro has been very good. I mean, Mickey van de Ven has been very good as well. Spurs defensively, I know they've conceded more than Arsenal, haven't they? Um, they've conceded five, Arsenal have conceded four. But this is a new Spurs defence, still learning to play together, new goalkeeper, new midfield combination, and yet they've only conceded, and they've had a harder run of games than Arsenal. So I don't really see how Arsenal fans could be upset about that. I did disagree somewhat with the midfield, but then as I thought about it more, I couldn't really figure out how to change it because Madison has to be in. He's been brilliant so far this season. Basuma's been excellent. And it came down then to Rice or Odegaard. Now, I'd probably personally lean towards Odegaard, but you were picking a team that, to be more of a realistic team. Yeah. So therefore, it has to be Basuma and Rice. It couldn't be... Hmm. You couldn't play Madison and Odegaard with Basuma unless you're Mikel Arteta and you're, you know, a Lego head. Well, he'd have, he'd have Havertz where Basuma is, to be fair. But yeah, he'd have... you know, like, so that's true. So, yeah, if, if Arteta's the manager, then it would have to be... Odegaard, but obviously Ange has started the season better, so he's the manager here. Uh, you went mm. Saka and Martinelli on the wings, and again, th- that's perfectly right. And you went with Son up front. Again, I don't know how anyone could complain. So, for me, I actually think you kind of niced Arsenal by including Ben White and Declan Rice when o- Odegaard would have been in, so it would have been an Arsenal midfielder anyway. But I think I'd have gone Poro right back. Mm. So, as much as Arsenal fans might want to have little tantrums over it, I think you guys were right. No, I think, I, think had... Odegaard, I think Odegaard's a better player than Madison, but the bloke just won player of the month, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Madison has been the best player in the league so far this season. Just He just has. He has been brilliant for Spurs. 
Now, it's only five games, but they're second in the league under a new manager playing a completely different style of football with a bunch of new players, including basically an entirely new defence because Poro only arrived in January. Van de Ven arrived this summer. Adoiji arrived this summer. The goalkeeper arrived this summer. Papa Matar Sar is only getting in the team now because he was a a depth player last year. Who he wasn't thirty year old for Conte. <laughs> you know that's exactly it. He didn't hit the didn't hit the threshold of having played five thousand games. You know Madison is new. Kulisevsky's in his second season, but he's settling in. Son is playing a new role. Manor Solomon's played some left wing. I think Brennan Johnson will make that role his own. But like Spurs are 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 settling a new team into place. Arsenal, I mean, Havertz has been in and out. Timber got injured. And Declan Rice, therefore, is the only new addition to that first eleven on a week-to-week basis. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the goalkeeper um, this weekend. Well, it, I think it came out in the Daily Mail that Rye is the undisputed one now, number one, but it is the Daily I, Mail. I think that's probably going to be the case. But then I did wonder, obviously PSV was their first European game. Mm-hmm. And I did wonder if maybe they gave Raya the Everton game just to get him kind of in rhythm to play in Europe. And I wonder if maybe the plan originally was Ramsdale for the league, Raya for the Champions League. Because we've seen other clubs do that. Barcelona famously did it with Claudio, Claudio Bravo and... Uh, Mark andre Terstegen. Uh, Real Madrid used to do it with Iker Casillas and, and Keylor Navas before Iker got the hump and left. Um, I, I do I, I do find that to be the interesting question over Arsenal this weekend. What do they do at Raya? And does Kai Havertz start again? Because obviously he'd been left out of the league team, but came back in against PSV. Uh Injury-wise, Spurs have no Perisic, no Bentoncourt, no Sessegnon, no Hill, no uh, Whiteman, and Lacelso's a major doubt. The Arsenal, no Partey, no Martinelli, and no Timber. So, <sighs> Martinelli's a huge loss for them. But Trossard's in decent form. Partey's a big loss for them, and, you know... We can't go into too much, but he he's still their best holding midfielder. Even if he's playing as a right-back who steps into midfield, he's still their best holding midfielder. And he allows Declan Rice a bit more freedom. Without him, it's easy for teams to run off the back of Declan Rice. And that's where I think Spurs are going to have joy this weekend. I'm going to go for a draw. I think it's going to be a really exciting game. Two teams that play attractive football. I'm going to say 2-2. Yeah, North London derby is probably my favourite derby in the country, Mm. to be fair. Same. Um, Just nothing really comes close to it. The Manchester derby is pretty... Well, Man City just win every single time now, and Merseyside derby is not the prettiest. Uh, And Brighton against Crystal Palace isn't a real game. Um... But what is a real game is Brighton against Bournemouth, Dave. Brighton obviously disappointed with the result in Europe, but they are flying in the league. And we say this every time, Bournemouth points on the board aren't really doing them justice, so this should be a fun game. 
I'm very much looking forward to this game and I'm I'm really, really annoyed that well we're on at the same time. As are the North as is the North London Derby. Ideally I I would have loved to have had these three games staggered so I could have watched the three of them. Watch them live. I'll, I'll watch them over kind of Sunday night and Monday. Um, but it's just such bad scheduling to have these three games on at one time. Uh, born with no Alex Scott, probably no Tyler Adams, no Fredericks, no Marcondes. Uh, for Brighton, no Julio and Ciso. Lewis Dunk is a doubt, and Jakob Mulder is still out. Um, He's been out forever now with a, a torn ACL, so we'll see what happens with him. Brighton will want to bounce back after a very disappointing result last night, so I'm going to back Brighton to win. I think it'll be an exciting game, but I'll go 3-1 Brighton. Yeah, should be a good game. Should be a good game. Um, Chelsea against Villa, Dave. I mean, Chelsea started the season horribly. Villa have finally found the pattern of Unai Emery not doing away games. <laughs> so, nil-nil. <laughs> it, it it definitely has that feel to it. Definitely had that feel to it. Um, Villa, <clears throat> no Buendia, no Mings, no Traore, no Eric Burnham, and no Diego Carlos. But Chelsea are just ravaged with injuries. No Fafana, no Nkunku, no Lavia, no Badiashile, no Chukwemeka, no Broja, no Betnelli, no Reese. James, Chalabas a doubt. Kukurega should be fine. He was sick last weekend. He should be okay. Moises Caicedo is a doubt. And Noni Mudeki is a doubt. So it's it's tough for Chelsea at the moment because they're trying to bet in a bunch of new players. But at the same time, they've got a bunch of injuries. Imagine they had Europe. Jesus. That they, if they had Europe, they would be in major trouble. They would be in major trouble this season if they had Europe. Even if it was just the Europa League or the Conference League, they would have major problems. I fancy Villa to get something here. Now, again, like you said, Villa have Villa have not played well away from home uh, in the Premier League this year. Obviously got spanked by the tune. Did beat Burnley away but got spanked at Anfield, lost last night to Legia Warsaw in Warsaw, which will be hugely disappointing to them, but they should still progress from the group fairly easily. But Chelsea just don't look like a team right now. They just It's a collection of individuals, and they were really poor at Bournemouth. They were horrible at home to Forest. They were awful against West Ham. They played well for a long stretch against Liverpool, but never really looked like scoring. And they beat Luton, and that's their only win so far. I'm going to go for a draw. I'll go 1-1, but I I do think a draw is most likely. Mm. Yeah, and you can see people like Watkins giving the backline issue. Major test. Watkins against Thiago Silva could could be a massacre. And John Duran's goal last weekend was chef kiss. It was beautiful. Um... Another two o'clock kickoff. Uh, we have Liverpool against West Ham. Dave again scheduling gods. We we just really needed to Shef- see Sheffield United against Newcastle on TV. Mm. Um, I this is an interesting game because obviously both in the Europa League last night, both 
half rotated teams, you'd probably say. Obviously, Liverpool may be getting Van Dijk and Arte back up to speed, but maybe a bit stronger than expected. And West Ham uh, handed out a bit of a rest, um, but played some of their players. But it's interesting the fact that Liverpool's defence has not been great this season. Obviously, we know how West Ham played. They just spring on counter-attacks. So in terms of that duel, it'll be really good. But Liverpool going forward, as long as they don't play the two stodgy lads up front, is really mm. fun. Um, so this is an intriguing game, but it might not be the most fun until we see the starting 11s, because if it's Gakpo and Jota, I think that favours West Ham, if anything. Yeah, Gakpo as the nine massively favours West Ham because he, he'll play in front of Zuma and Agard, and that's what they want. Jota will have movement around them, which will cause them trouble, but Darwin is the one to play because of his pace. I think Diaz has to start. If Liverpool play the right 11 and and don't sleep through the first half, they should win this game. I went for 2-1 on Scouted. I wanted to pick 3-1, but Carl picked 3-1. But since he's not on this podcast, I think I'll go 3-1. Liverpool will only be without... Tiago and Trent, and they don't really plan with Tiago anyway. So Joe Gomez comes in for Trent. It means a slight alteration, obviously, to how they'd ideally play, and hopefully they just stick to playing a back four and not trying to invert the the right back. Not not play a uh, centre back in midfield, no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just the, the best move for it. Like um, West Ham are at full strength. Uh, Alvarez is is fine to play. They have no concerns. I'll go 3-1 Liverpool. I do think it's going to be a good game. And like ideally, this should have been the, the main televised 2 p.m. game. Like when when the major derbies in this league, Merseyside, North London, and Manchester are scheduled for a Sunday kickoff, it has to be the 4:30. Unless there's two of them on at once. Unless there's two on the same day. It has to be a 4.30. I don't understand why that Arsenal game is. And then this Liverpool-West Ham game should have been the main 2 p.m. game. And then Brighton-Bournemouth, couldn't they have played Monday? Or couldn't they have had the late kickoff on Saturday? Or they couldn't have the late kickoff Saturday because of Brighton's Europa League. But still, it's just, it's so, so, so poor. Um, I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. And we'll, we'll move to the last game and get it wrapped. Yeah, and the last game, as I said in the start of that, we have Sheffield United against Newcastle, Dave. Um, I mean, that Newcastle-Milan game in midweek. Deary me, what a low-quality game of football that was. Mm. Um, And Sheffield United, probably the best of the promoted teams so far, but that is saying very little. Um, I know they've had a lot of injuries, but a bit more excitement up front. The midfield looks a bit better defensively is probably the issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cameron Archer's been exciting since joining. Gustavo Hammer's played really well, but defensively, they just they haven't been able to hold it together. They did give City a big scare. They gave Spurs a massive scare. They're without Max Lowe, Ben Osborne, John Fleck, Rian Brewster, Reese uh, Norrington Davies, George Baldock, John Egan, and Daniel Jebison through injury. And then Ollie McBurney's obviously suspended for being a silly boy. Uh, Newcastle, no Joe Willock, no Emil Kraft, and no Jolington by the looks of things. The two need to get their season up and running because, mm. I mean, they finished fourth last season. They have not impressed at all this season. Two wins, 
obviously battered Villa, then lost three in a row. But then they did manage to get the win over Brentford. It was a little bit fishy. There was, you know, there was a stench off that penalty. But they got the win and that's all they'll care about. They haven't looked good away from home. They haven't looked good at all away from home. And I do think Sheffield United are the type of team that can cause Newcastle some issues. Now, the tune, they, I mean, they lost to Brighton, they lost to City. Like, it's not like they've played bad teams away from home and not gotten a result. I'm going to go for a draw here. If Sheffield United didn't have so many injuries, I think I'd actually back them to win. Because I think coming off the European game, there might be a bit of a, just might be a bit of a, like an adrenaline dump from Newcastle. Got City in midweek as well. And they've got City in midweek in the cup. And I think they will want to focus. I think they'll want to win that cup. So I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't a full strength 11 here and he goes full strength against City in midweek. So I'm going to go for a draw. I'll go 1-1. I don't think it's going to be the best game of football anyone's ever seen. Yep, and I will be podcasting after the Liverpool game, so I won't so take my it. focus. Yes. That's it, and I'm busy on Sunday, so I don't have to watch it either. Um, yeah, so there we go. That is all 10 games predicted wrong. Uh, so we'll be back on Tuesday to laugh at how wrong I got them. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you Tuesday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.